Hello again. Uh, I tell you, I've been really enjoying this series that we're in on the nine paths that human beings use to try to navigate life successfully. Uh, And I've been appreciating it, not least in part because of the feedback I've been getting from many of you uh, as we've been in the series for a few weeks. For some reason, it's it's just connecting with people and they're emailing me or talking to me uh, and Dion as well about about ways that this is provoking thoughts and changes in their own lives. Uh, And there's one uh, dynamic, though, that's happened a few times now. So as we hit the midpoint of the series, we're we're smack in the middle of the nine paths, I wanted to call it out and share it with you because it's come up enough that I figure it might be coming up for you out there. And it goes like this. Someone says to me or to Dion, they say, boy, we really are intrigued by the series. You know, we're taking lots of notes. We're learning lots of things. You know, Path of Strength was fascinating. Path of Harmony, that was good. Uh, and then they say, but then we got to this week, and that week it just seemed like you or Dion were just being really mean that week. You guys seemed kind of angry uh, that one week, and you weren't the other weeks. And, and so I, I've got a, a news and a promise for you. We're not angry uh, or mean that week. That's just the week that we covered your path. <laughs> you see, when you're learning about the, the path that other people navigate, it's, always, it's definitely interesting, and there are things that we can all learn from these paths. There are biblical truths on each of these paths. But then we get to your path, and suddenly it's personal in a way that it hadn't been before. And it's kind of like um, if you've ever been in the position of watching yourself eating in a mirror, it's unsettling. And yet it's a perfectly natural, normal thing. You do it all, multiple times a day. You eat, but when you have to f- look in the mirror and watch yourself eating, you suddenly realize how truly grotesque it is uh, to see you mash up food in your mouth and, and swallow it. Or, or if you've ever heard your voice on a, on a recording and you just think, oh, that just, it sounds so weird. That doesn't sound like me, but, but you, of course it's you. Uh, and I think this series is hitting people the same way, that, that when we get to your path, uh, suddenly it's, uh, it's real and it's uncomfortable in a way that the other ones haven't been. And if you have not uh, had that feeling or experience yet so far in the series, don't worry, your turn's coming. We'll get to your path yet. And maybe it'll even be today. We are on, uh, I think, a very fascinating path this morning uh, that I I can't wait to share with you. It's called The Path of Accomplishment. And author Ian Morgan Cron uh, describes this path as the path that is the most revered and most rewarded in American society. This is the path that is most revered, most rewarded. If that sounds intriguing to you, let's explore this path a little bit more. So on the path of accomplishment, what you're primarily driven and motivated by uh, is that you want to inspire admiration in others, and so therefore you must be successful and achieve. And you can see already how this is kind of the American ethos, right? It started all the way with the founding fathers. You know, Ben Franklin was the original, you know, Poor Richard's Almanac, you know, early to bed, early to rise, be successful, be wealthy, be uh, diligent in your labors, Uh, all the way up through the 19th century and the, the barons, you know, who built up oil and steel empires, who worked hard. The people we tend to admire and lionize in our culture and in our history are the great successful business people, uh, the ones who accumulate and earn wealth. They accomplish things. Even now today, when you look at the heroes in the business world, it's Jeff Bezos who built up Amazon, or it's Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook. Uh, these people 
people who have accomplished many things. They're, they're admired in our eyes uh, because of how successful and achieving and accomplished they are. Uh, and at a more personal note, just even in our community, this is the people, if you are someone who's in a prestige uh, career choice, if you're a doctor uh, or a lawyer or a professor, someone that, uh, that is inspire, you know, inspires admiration in others, uh, this is our, you know, our entrepreneurs and our small business owners. This is our realtors. Uh, this is um, uh, salespeople and marketers. Uh, basically, a way to think of it like this is if you yourself thrive by being in a career or in a life stage uh, that is dependent on uh, competition or networking, you are very likely someone who spends a lot of time on the path of accomplishment. Because these are the people that, that to be successful, to be achieving, is what helps them be uh, accomplished in their jobs. You can't do your job well if you're not better than uh, the people around you, if you're not successful in achieving in other ways. Another mark of this path is that if you live on this path, goals are the only way anybody accomplishes anything. Anybody who doesn't have a goal is a slacker. Because this is what drives life. People that walk this path, they've got a five-year plan and they are going to get it done in two. Because that's how you do on this path. Uh, they're going to, in professional environments, they're going to jump from project to project and it's just going to be one success after another. I accomplish this project. What's next? They never rest on their laurels. They're never content to just ride out a, a job or a career. It's always about what's next? What can I achieve? What's the next thing that I can conquer? And as they're looking for those things to conquer, there's this one particular obstacle, this really obnoxious, annoying thing that gets in the way of these goals. It's this really irritating thing called human emotion. Feelings are a problem on the path of accomplishment because feelings only get in the way of getting things done. That is what matters. And so sadness, we don't have time for sadness. We've got stuff to do if you're on the path of accomplishment. Another way to recognize if you spend any amount of time on this path is that the, the thing that matters in life is that you want to win. And it doesn't even matter what arena that is. Like, that can be the obvious things, like winning in games. This is why professional athletes tend to be people that are on this path, because there's a very clear game, and you want to win the game. But it doesn't just have to be the game either. It can be even the, the small things. It can be bringing the, the better baked goods to the PTO. That was winning uh, over someone else. Or even, this is counterintuitive, vacations are a prime opportunity for winning. If your vacation can be more vacation-y than other people's vacations, you win. Uh, and in this age of social media, it makes it all the more satisfying because you don't even have to wait to get home to, to show off the winningness of your vacation. You can take the great pictures and people can all see that you are winning at your vacation. But it's not just about the winning. It's that not only do you want to win, but you want to win and be recognized for the winning. Again, many of us are about to tune into a national broadcast, uh, and the, the team that wins that game, not only do they win and get to you know, feel that personal sense of pride, they also are all going to get a Super Bowl ring. And they're going to be able to, to dis display and show off that ring for the rest of their lives, that this year they were the best team in the world. Uh, you like to be recognized for your winning. And, and again, this is such a part of our national identity. It's just who we are. And I know it because I actually leverage this for my own personal gain with my children. Uh, you see, I can tell my child, hey, I'd really like you to clean your room. 
and it just doesn't really do anything. Or maybe I can say, hey, how fast do you think you can clean your room? And that maybe gets them a little bit. But if I really say, if you clean your room really fast, I will give you a sticker. Suddenly, they are cleaning their room. Hold my juice box, Dad. I got this. We reward people in our, in our culture we, with recognition for their winning. It can be as small as a sticker. It can be something like a Super Bowl ring. Or, or one thing I even hear uh, a lot is uh, there's a lot of denigration of millennials. Because uh, people pick on them and they say, oh, millennials, they're the ones that they want the participation trophy. And if they don't get a participation trophy, then, it's, then they don't want to do it. And, and to recognize a couple of things about that statement. One is, it's not generally going to be helpful to pigeonhole and dismiss and stereotype an entire generation, especially when they're going to be in charge of our health care much later in life. <laughs> but secondly, it dismisses the fact that this is how our country's wired. That it's not their fault, it's not unique to their generation, because again, keep in mind, who was it that was demanding the participation trophies when they were little kids? It was their parents. It was the Gen Xers and the boomers that were saying, I I don't want my kid to play soccer. That's not a worthwhile enough goal. I want them to get a trophy for playing soccer. We want to win. We want to be recognized for winning. Now, maybe this has started to sound like you, or maybe at least recognizing how prevalent it is in our culture. But to help lock it down, uh, I want to just give one real-life example of a person that clearly lives on the path of accomplishment. And that person is someone I personally admire named Will Smith. Now, Will Smith is not just the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I know that's what many people know him for. He's not just a charming guy that happens to be in a lot of movies. He's actually behind the mask of this happy-go-lucky, charming, every-guy dude that just kind of happened to stumble into success is actually one of the most meticulous and machine-like driven people you've ever heard of or met. You see, Will Smith's earned $7.6 billion dollars off of his movies. And that's not something you accidentally stumble into. It's because he is a man who is on the path of accomplishment. He is driven by these goals, the need to win, the need to have success and achievement. And when you look at interviews with him, you see behind, you know, between the cracks of what's going on and what motivates him. Here's a couple of quotes uh, from you from a particular interview that he had with Time magazine. Uh, he shared that, uh, that his drive and his focus for his career actually started at the age of 16. Because when he was 16, his first girlfriend cheated on him. And here's what he took away. In my mind, she cheated because I wasn't good enough. I remembered making the decision that I will never not be good enough again. Do you hear that? That, that already it, it was about a question of being good enough, not right or desirable or this. It was good enough. And if she cheated, it wasn't her fault. It wasn't her lack of moral character. It was because I wasn't good enough. And then he went on to have a, a music career uh, and, and become well-known. And then he made the transition. He got the opportunity to have a TV show in Hollywood. And for so many people, that would have been enough. That would have been the achievement. Wow, look at me. I've got a TV show. Uh, I've made it. But at the age of 21, when he moved out to L.A. to start his show, this is how he treated that moment. He said to his business partner, listen, if we're going out to L.A., we probably should have a goal. Already, he's goal-driven and oriented. And I said, my goal is, I want to be the biggest movie star in the world. Right? That doesn't fit the picture of happy-go-lucky, fresh prince of Bel-Air. This is someone who already at 21 had not only clear goals, but they were audacious. <laughs> they were big. 
Uh, And to do that, he went after that with clinical precision. So this is what he did. Every weekend, he and his business partner would look at that week's box office receipts, and they'd look for trends and patterns. And then specifically, they looked at a list of the top 10 grossing movies of all time. And here's Will Smith. We looked at the list, and we said, okay, what are the patterns? We realized that 10 out of 10 had special effects. 9 out of 10 had special effects with creatures. 8 out of 10 had special effects with creatures and a love story. And now, knowing that he did this, knowing that this was the homework that he was doing behind the scenes, think about now the movies that Will Smith chose to make. See, the first movie he ever made was a a movie that almost nobody saw called Six Degrees of Separation, and it was, by every critical acclaim, amazing. People saw Will Smith and they said, this guy that we thought he was the Fresh Prince, he's a brilliant actor. He's going to be the next great dramatic actor of the generations of the next generation. He's going to be amazing. We can't wait to see what he puts out. But you know how much money Six Degrees of Separation made? Not very much. So Will Smith intentionally followed up that movie by making Independence Day, a movie with special effects, creatures, and a love story. Men in Black, a movie with special effects, creatures, and a love story. Ultimately, I Am Legend, a movie with special effects, zombies, and kind of a love story with the dog, I guess. Um... But, but see how calculated it was. He, this wasn't accidental. This was someone on the path of accomplishment who had goals, who was willing to do whatever it took to meet the goals. And he's now had an incredibly successful life and career. And who wouldn't want to have a life like that? Like now just projected on our own community, our own values. Who wouldn't want to have a professional life marked by accomplishment after accomplishment? Who wouldn't want to have a family that's marked by kids uh, being more successful than those around them, being set up to live lives of success and achievement? Why would anyone have any problem with this path of accomplishment at all? Well, here's why. Because what happens when you lose? If this is where you live, if this is where you get value, what happens when the success doesn't happen? What happens when achievements fall short? What happens when you lose? This is a question that each and every one of us has to face, uh, and it's one that I think is put very well and compellingly in in one particular story. Uh, This is a movie based on the real-life story of a young six-year-old child chess prodigy named Joshua Waitskin. Uh, At six years old, he was playing chess in Central Park against the Hustlers and beating them. And he got a coach, and by nine years old, he was the top-ranked chess player under 18 in the country. And in this moment in his life that this movie is about to share, in this moment he's gearing up, he's nine years old, gearing up for the big regional tournament. He's the number one ranked player going in, uh, and this is the tournament that's truly going to prove that this kid is the next Bobby Fischer. And on the eve of this tournament, he has this moment of crisis with his dad. Dad? Maybe we shouldn't go to the state finals. What are you talking about? Of course we're going. That's what we've worked so hard for. If I win... Everybody will say, well, of course he won. He's a top-ranked player. But if I lose... You won't lose, Josh. What if I do? 
You won't. I'm afraid I might. Josh, they're afraid. They're terrified of you. In this moment of existential crisis, did you notice how the dad attempted to answer it? You won't lose. I promise. And yet, that's what so many of us live. It's the promise I try to make to my kids. And, it's, and we do so much to try to stave off losing in our own lives and lives of our kids. We try to pick good careers that set us up for success. We try to give our kids all the tutoring and the training and the activities and the well-rounded exposure to things so that they won't lose because we're all trying to do the same thing, which is stave off that fear. But if we actually examine that unconscious motive, surely we recognize we can't promise that. The dad can't promise that he's not going to lose. We have to get to the deeper heart of the matter. What's really going on? What are we trying to stave off when we try and tell ourselves and tell our children that we're not going to lose, we're going to succeed? Because sooner or later, one way or another, the loss is coming. Failure happens, even to the best of us. And when that happens, those of us on the path of accomplishment, we have to wrestle with a couple of things. One of them is this. That when you live here, your image becomes the most important thing. This is what you have to maintain at all costs. And your image outpaces you. And so you build everything up. You, you, you live your life in service of maintaining this. And you can't at any point admit weakness or failure because it would tarnish the image. You can't admit that, that this was a hard year for us because you know, people with the successful image, they don't have hard years. They just keep persevering and overcoming. They stave off failure. And as a result, there's a psychological phenomenon that's apparently unique to our culture, this first identified about 45 years ago, and, and they see it, uh, they've studied it and seen it a lot throughout our culture. It's called this, it's called imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is something that only affects successful people. Because what happens is you have these accomplishments, the success, but deep down inside, you know the fears that are lurking. You know the existential crisis that's waiting, or that moment where if you don't succeed the next time, you're going to be revealed as a fraud. And the people around you, they judge you by your accomplishments. They judge you by this image, but you know that the image is a lie. And every next opportunity, every next project, every next chance to prove your worth is one more chance where you're either going to get by by the skin of your teeth, you're going to fool them for one more time, or you're going to be exposed for the fraud that you are. And as social scientists have been studying this, they've come up with the number that 70% of Americans from all walks of life struggle from imposter syndrome at at either one point or even chronically throughout their life. That's a staggering number. I don't know whether 70% of you struggle with imposter syndrome, but I'll give you a chance to self-diagnose. Here's a quick and dirty test for whether maybe you struggle with imposter syndrome. See if you can answer these questions for yourself, just in your own minds. Do you ever wonder that, you, that you've often succeeded on a test or a task even though you were afraid that you wouldn't do well on it before I undertook the task? Or do you ever think this? I can give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. 
Or maybe I avoid evaluations if possible and I have a dread of others evaluating me. When people praise me for something I've accomplished, I'm afraid I won't be able to live up to their expectations of me in the future. I sometimes think that I obtained my present position or gained my present success because I happened to be in the right place at the right time or knew the right people. So I'm not going to ask, but how many of you identified with that personally? And if you did, maybe this imposter syndrome is something that's, that's been a struggle in your own life, and, and maybe that's a clue that you are also on this path of accomplishment. See, one of the, the sad tragedies of people that have imposter syndrome is that success only makes the depression worse. Two of my favorite authors, Neil Gaiman and Don Miller, uh, two men that I really admire uh, and wish I had their their writing careers, uh, both of them shared publicly how after they had a best-selling book hit the market and come out top of the category, both of them spiraled into depression afterwards. Because when you struggle with imposter syndrome, the success only perpetuates and makes the problem worse because all it really does in your mind is kick the can of failure down the road. And yes, maybe you didn't fail this time, you pulled it off this time, you succeeded this time, but next time, the mask is going to slip. The image is going to break. Will Smith had a streak of eight movies in a row that opened number one at the box office, made $4.4 billion worldwide. And you'd think that would be enough for anyone to have a successful career, but it wasn't. Because what happened to him next is he made a movie called After Earth. Any of you hear of that movie? Very few have. It was terrible. (laughs) Truly awful. And he shares that moment this way. He says that when that happened, um, when After Earth bombed, a thing got broken in my mind. All of the titles, all the accomplishments, all my nicknames, Mr. July, Big Willie Weekend, number one, eight in a row, all of those things got collapsed. And he contemplated getting out of the movie industry entirely. And if you don't live on the path of accomplishment, that doesn't make sense to you. You think, why would that matter? You're already a multimillionaire. You've had plenty of success for multiple lifetimes. Why does one failure of a movie matter? It matters because the image is all that matters. And if the image breaks, you are in trouble. And the reason you're in trouble is because of this. Because behind the image, you lose track of who you actually are. So you spend so much time maintaining the image that it actually becomes separate from the real you. And you don't even know who the real you is anymore because all of your efforts, all of your time is spent on maintaining the image. Nathaniel Hawthorne, an early American writer, described it this way in his book, The Scarlet Letter. He says, no man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one may be the true. See, this, this group of people, people that walk this path, they, they lose who they are. And they don't even know it because they've got such a successful image to live up to. But when that image comes crashing down, when it breaks, suddenly they have to confront something real. Again, that author, Ian Morgan Cron, says this, if you are on this path and you don't figure out who you are, there are only a few possible endings on this path. You will either have an affair become an alcoholic, or die of a heart attack at a very young age. Because the stress of maintaining the image will ultimately beat you down one way or another. 
For Will Smith, this manifested by uh, his relationship, his marriage with Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, The two of them were Hollywood's power couple. They worked together in tandem. They weren't just a romantic success. They were a business success, launching brands, launching their children and successful careers. Uh, And then finally, the moment came where Jada Pinkett turned to Will and she said, I can't keep pretending anymore. They didn't know who they actually were because they were so caught up in their image, they lost who they really were. And it's funny to see how Will Smith responded to it. He responded to it by saying, I will not fail at this marriage. And he spent two years reading every marriage book he could find to notice how he's still bringing path of accomplishment principles to this. He didn't do it for love. He didn't do it uh, you know, for, for all these other reasons. He did it because he would not fail at a marriage. This is what drove him. But ultimately what Jada Pinkett Smith said was they had to tear down the fantasies. They had to find the reality of who they are. And ultimately, if you are on this path of accomplishment, you have to face the crisis that separates, distinguishes who you really are from what you do. That young chess prodigy I talked about before, Joshua Waitskin, he faced a similar crisis. You see, he got into the game early on because his chess coach promised him a master chess certificate if he accumulated enough points. If you do well enough at chess, if you do all these things, you'll get enough points, I will give you this certificate. But what happened after that moment with his dad was little Josh started losing. Losing to people that were way inferior to him. Losing to people he should have beaten in his sleep. Losing, losing, losing. And he finally, in this losing streak, asks his coach, can I just have my certificate now, please? See what happens. I want to know how close I am to getting the certificate. Forget the certificate. But I want to know. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't care. I don't understand. It's White's move. I want the certificate. You want the certificate. You have to have the certificate. You won't move until you get the certificate. You win. Here's your certificate. Spell it out doesn't mean anything. It's a piece of paper. It's a Xerox of a piece of paper. Do you want another one? Do you want ten? Do you want twenty? Thirty? I've got a briefcase full of them. They mean nothing. They mean nothing. Get out of my house. To put a child in a position to care about winning and not to prepare him is wrong. Get out of my house. you don't want to admit it, but he's right. I mean, you wouldn't sign your kid up for Little League and then not get him a glove. You equip him. You. It's over. Bonnie, he's in a slump. This is a slump. It happens. 
you get into a slump, you get out of it eventually. What you don't do is give up. You like baseball, do you? Hey, it's like anything. If you're afraid to lose, you lose. If you lose, you get more afraid. He's afraid. He's not afraid of losing. He's afraid of losing your love. How many ball players grow up afraid of losing their father's love every time they come up to the plate? All of them! He knows you disapprove of him. He knows you think he's weak. But he's not weak. He's decent. And if you, or Bruce, or anyone else tries to beat that out of him, I swear I'll take him away. How many baseball players are afraid of losing their father's love every time they step up to the plate? All of them. Can you be a decent, love-worthy person, or can you be a winner? Because you can't be both. Or can you? And this is the, the path out, the exit ramp that Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul from the Bible offers us. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, he is the definitive path of accomplishment guy. Not only did he write most of the New Testament, every letter he wrote, he started with a list of his credentials and accomplishments. He wrote, Paul, an apostle, called by Jesus directly, savior of the Gentiles, you know, the one who speaks the good news to the Gentiles. Uh, he brags about himself in every letter. He's a path of accomplishment person. But look at this letter that he writes to a church in Philippi. He says this, that we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We're, we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment. But he says, we no longer put confidence in human effort, although I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I'm not going to brag, but if I were going to brag, I would beat all of you at bragging. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I studied under Gamaliel. That's like the Harvard of Judaism. No one tops Paul. So what changed? What gave him a new way to go on this path of accomplishment? What changed is he met God incarnate. Think about this. God is the highest achieving accomplisher of all time. We're talking about, about achievements. He created the entire universe and everything in it. God isn't just a king. He's the king of kings. He isn't just a lord. He's the lord of lords. If anyone has claim to bragging rights, it's God. And when Jesus Christ came as God in flesh and stood before Pontius Pilate, he said to him, I could have an army of angels at my command like this that would overthrow you and the entire government. And instead, Jesus laid it all down. Because if he had won, if he had triumphed, if he had persevered in that moment, it would have proven that God is great. Hands down. Nothing can stand against God. But it would not have proven how much God loves you. How much God loves me. When given the opportunity to walk the path of accomplishment himself, Jesus rejected that so that he could prove something far greater than what he could achieve. It's that who he loves mattered more to him. And if this is true, it changes everything for Paul, it changes everything for you and me, and it definitely gives us the path of redemption for people that are trapped 
and accomplishment. See, there are two things Paul learned. The first is this, that if you're on the path of accomplishment, you must, must, must figure out who you are, not just what you do. You've got to get back to being a human being, not just a human doing. You've got to figure out who you are inside, separate from your accomplishments. And there are only a couple of ways to do that. The first is you've got to get some solitude. You've got to get away from all the people, all the expectations, all the comparisons that you are constantly putting on yourself. You've got to get away from all of it. And then when you get away from all the people, get away from those things that drive you to compare and compete and win, then you've got to see who God is says you are. And this is what Paul describes as who God says he is. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. All my accomplishments, all my successes, all my victories, everything is a loss compared to Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ instead. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Who are you? You're the one God changed the game for. Who are you? You're the one who is so valuable that God said saving you, bringing you back into relation with him was worth sacrificing every accomplishment he ever made. That's who you are. And that is true no matter what accomplishments you festoon yourself with, no matter what things you pretend are where you get your identity or that you, that you strap on over yourself. The thing that matters about who you are is who God says you are and he says you're beloved and you're valuable whether you get the promotion or not, whether you win the game or not, whether you earn the money and have the successful life or not, you are valuable before any of that happens. And the second truth you need to hear is this, that you gotta change the game. See, I think for some people going through this series that you suspect that these are all wrong paths and and we're setting you up for some big reveal at the end that, oh, you try all these things, but at the end, there's gonna be the path of Jesus. That's the right one uh, at the end. And that's not it at all. None of these paths are right and wrong in and of themselves. What it is is there's a right and wrong way to walk them. There's a wrong way to walk the path of accomplishment that's, that's stuck in human brokenness and trying to prove value to yourself based on what you achieve. There is a healthy, holy, redeemed way to walk the path of accomplishment. One that is based on what God accomplished on your behalf that sets you free from that burden of competition and success. But it doesn't change the way you're wired. If you're wired for this path, if this matters to you, if you have that drive to win, God's not calling you to give up that, to change who you are. He's calling you to use it in a new and different way based on his grace and glory. Change the game. Win at something else. And here's what you can win at. Here's what Paul says. Paul continues, even after he's been redeemed, even after he knows Jesus, notice the language he uses. I want to know Christ. We read all this before. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He's got a goal in mind. He wants to be resurrected from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold. He's still achieving of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, all the failures and all the victories, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, who he was at his core didn't change. He still presses towards goals. He still wins the prize, but the game is different. He's not striving for earthly admiration, for wealth or for success, for the things in life that end with our own death. He's got a new prize in mind, a new goal, a new game. And that game is marked by the winning condition. The success is you get to spend eternal life with a God who loves you. That's the prize. That's the win. That's the achievement. And now, if you recognize that, you can stop beating yourself up for the things that you miss or fail or, or that failure, that can that you've been kicking down the road. It's already been won for you. And now you can be the best at knowing Christ and being known by him. You can be the most celebrity person, the most competitive winner at dying to yourself and letting Christ bring you back to life again. Take the drive that God gave you and use it for the one prize that cannot be taken away because God accomplished it already on your behalf. This is how you redeem the path of accomplishment. This is how you get back who you really are. It's also how you do great things for the world around you by not having the burden of doing them yourself, but just the joy of getting to live out this competitive drive that God gave you with none of the fear of losing. Because what God has won on your behalf cannot be lost by human beings. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I give you thanks that you knew us so intimately that when you created us, you knew that we would strive for so many things that we would fall short in. And so Lord, I thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you gave us a way out of a dead end path and gave us a new way to live this path of accomplishment, being found in your achievements for us. So Lord, right now I pray and ask that you would set these people free, free from expectations, from comparisons, from worth that's based on our own action. Give them value and identity and victory through what you have done for them and continue to do through all of their lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.